Hello and welcome to another Nine Circles audio thing. As always, I'm your host, Buke. And it is an honor and a pleasure to interview two members of Blood Incantation, Paul and Isaac. If you have read any of the wonderful articles here at Nine Circles, if you've listened to the podcasts here, we are huge fans. If obviously you're listening to this, you're a metal fan, you are no stranger to what Blood Incantation does and who they are because they've they've come out of the uh, the smoke and fog and really taken over the metal world by storm with their last couple of releases. And we are talking here on the eve of their release for Time Wave Zero that comes out February 25th on Century Media. Isaac and Paul, I'm sure you guys have done a couple of interviews today. So uh, I hate to maybe ask you the same questions or something, but gentlemen, how are things going for you guys today? Um, you know, th- things are going good. Um, you know, we had a couple interviews um, the, we're getting ready. We're gearing up for our album release show, which is going to be February 26th. So that's going to be the entire album played front to back live. So that's, that's been an exciting thing. It's a new journey for us, a little new challenge and yeah, just, just spending our time getting ready for that. And, and Paul, I, I'll give you a chance to answer. I see Morris is joining us now. So this is great. This is, this is like a blood incantation party now. I like this. <laughs> you are doing well, Paul and Morris. Welcome. Thank you for joining us, sir. Yeah. yeah we're just, like you said, getting ready for the ambient release show. We've been doing uh, a lot of practicing for it. And because uh, we took a little bit of time off from that after we recorded uh, in the summer. And then we had to get ready to go do regular death metal shows and do a little tour in December and then some flyouts in january and yeah just getting ra- ramped up getting back in the groove with the we took the drums down and got all the synthesizers out and mic'd up the gong and all that stuff we're getting ready paul i could let me quickly touch on this i i, I have to ask you because we're really curious how each of the other members had their hands in making it we know you make this kind of ambient music on your own so this easily could have been a hovercraft no, no, album. not even, not even. But no, but but the fact that they're calling it a blood incantation album means the full band contributed to it. That's correct. This is actually yeah. the most collaboratively written blood incantation record so far. Uh, most of the other stuff, you know, Isaac and I will write something at the at home and as the skeleton and whatnot with the loop pedal, and we bring it to the space and we'll hash it out live. And then sometimes, you know, we'll write things as a group in the practice space and hammer it out during sound check and stuff like that. And then other times we'll uh, improvise and make some songs uh, for metal. But for Time Wave, it's the first time that starting from complete scratch, all four members had uh, mutual input of how to develop this thing. And uh, one of the best things I think about the record is that it has a different I don't know if results is the right word, but because it still sounds and feels like blood incantation, but um, for an example, um, on Star Spawn, the songwriting might be a little more heavy on my style. On Hidden History, the songwriting might be a little more on Isaac's style, especially that whole B-side. And uh, so between like a song like Awakening or a song like Vitrification of Blood, you can kind of see where we're coming from. And then songs like Hovering Lifeless or uh, Inner Paths to Outer Space, we would improvise as a group. 
and then songs like uh, Slave Species of the Gods, we would write uh, as a group, you know, putting the, putting the riffs together. But this one, man, we really, as a complete unit, we, we set out, we had to relearn how to communicate with each other in this new musical context, because when you have a drum beat and a, you know, guitar rhythm and whatnot, it's a lot more straightforward as far as how you know when to change or when the next part's gotta go wherever it does. But when you're playing this really nebulous and long form music, we had to learn how to communicate with, you know, visual cues or not even because sometimes, you know, we practice a lot of times in the dark, but you can uh, you can hear the other person's playing and you can dial yours back down to allow them more space. Whereas when you're playing death metal, it's all cylinders are firing the whole time. Everyone's raging. Yes, it will maybe cut out to one guitar or whatnot and, and do an instrumental passage maybe. But in general, this is this is definitely the most collective blood incantation record something we're really proud of as it yeah go go ahead off that bud yeah for a long time i mean blood incantation is for guys it's important that it's that you know i mean on our ep it was morris paul and i and we had damon um from stargazer playing bass but once we got jeff we had our full four four member lineup that we've continued to have for you know, the past six, seven years now, you know, it's so even when we were going into the ambient album, which is something that we've talked about doing for a long time, it was, that was the main thing in our minds was like, you know, this isn't just like an offshoot of one of our, I mean, cause I've, I've made, you know, ambient synth music as well in the past, like all kinds of weird experimental music that all of us have been involved in outside of the band. So, you know, it was important to bring this and make it blood incantation. So it is blood incantation, but just stripping away those normal metal rock elements and leaving the core of like the dark cosmic psychedelia. You know, that's an interesting point you bring up, because if you were to, I don't want to say do a blind taste test, you know, but like a blind listen, you could Mm. hear your guys' elements shining through in this. Yeah, these are they're they're yeah. all elements that we used on past recordings. You know, um, almost every single sound that you hear on Time Wave Zero was utilized on past yeah. records. There's only a couple little nuggets here and there that were kind of little new now, flavors. But more yeah. so uh, to bring you into this, let, let me ask ask you this. I, you know, I am not an artist myself, but it. If if I was in your guys' shoes, I'm just a major fan of heavy music. I would love to play, like you guys mentioned, the firing on all cylinders all the time, the in-your-face shit, just just showing off your your skills. Was it hard, Morris, for you guys to dial it back and slow it down and change change it back? Or was it enjoyable to take on this type of challenge uh the whole thing from the get-go very much enjoyable hard um kind of a yes and no thing to that because i mean even when we were recording hidden history we were listening to a lot of mega chill new age ambient music and i remember driving to the studio some days when we were going to go mix i would just be listening to like michael stearns or jeffrey chandler just like these really spacey you know nice nice Mm -hmm. uh, records no metal at all so um we're pretty well acquainted with that style of music. We've all been listening to it to various degrees for years. So uh, going into making it, we kind of knew the atmosphere we wanted to create. 
when we stripped away the metal. Um, was it hard? I mean, you know, we jammed for a long time with just the synths before we started composing the actual, the two songs that would become the record. So, I mean, you know, aspects of it are hard, sure. But uh, I, I didn't necessarily think of it that way. It was more of a, a challenge and a nice opportunity to be able to speak a new musical language with my best friends. Now, you know, given the extremely mixed response people had when Wolves in the Throne Room did something similar in a on Celeste, and they took a, a more cosmic ambient with that on with, with with that album. How much did you guys prepare yourselves for what, as I do the air quotes, what the true metal fans are going to be dec- decrying yourselves as? Uh, selling out, simply uh, selling yourselves down the river here. It was, it's something that we honestly didn't think that much about. I mean, you know, we've discussed that album in particular. And also, even when we brought it up to our record label, they were, you know, Century Media was like, oh, you know, we want to be careful with this because at one point, one of their A&R guys convinced Samael to do a similar release and it did not do well. And so... Even Century Media was like a little hesitant. They were like, maybe we should, you know, let's call it an EP. It's not an album, you know, stuff like that. And we were totally fine with that because ultimately it's it's the music that's going to speak for itself. So it doesn't need it doesn't matter what people are going to call it. You know, um, it's a blood and condition album. You know, it's it's longer than our regular records. That being said, you know, going into it, I think we weren't it's partly we don't really care, but it's also we're, we were just so <laughs> engrossed in our our own music that we just kind of didn't really think about it. It just seemed so natural to us. It didn't seem like something that we were, it was weird, you know, it didn't feel weird until we started doing a lot of these interviews and we started, you know, talking about it more to people. And then I started, you know, realizing like, Oh, this is like a pretty crazy thing to do for a metal band, especially uh, such an extreme fast, crazy metal band like ours is. And to basically go with a 180. Um, but to us, that's not what it is. It's, it's, it's really diving just deeper into an aspect of our band. It's, you know, it's, it's one of those things when you guys, even though you guys are only a a couple albums into it, you can look at like a Imperial triumphant. If they were almost to do the same kind of thing, people would be like, not saying they'd shun it right away, but people would take a step back and kind of go into it optimistically to at first. Uh, about Celestite specifically for Wolves in the Throne Room is uh, I don't know whether they were intending to do that in 2002 or four when their first demos came out but regardless one thing that makes that album what it was was that the atmospheric passages that they had used on the preceding album they took from and they laid out the synth stuff and then they built onto that so it had this contingency with with the previous record and if we had done something like that you know extracting the ambient passages from hidden history and then expanded on that 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 would be maybe more along those lines of how people would theoretically interact with it but i think one of the things that sets time wave apart is and what we're really excited to show people with our release show is that this is yes 70s progress 70s style progressive electronic you know crowd influenced ambient world music drone whatever but we played it we wrote it as a group and we arranged it and composed it live in the rehearsal space as a team. And then we recorded it 
in that same exact way, like we do with our metal records, which is the four people in the room playing live on tape. And if somebody makes a mistake, you got to rewind the reel, reset all the synth stuff, and then just do it again, play it right. You know, there's a couple overdubs, uh, just like our regular metal records, but it's not something that was made in a DAW, you know, like in, in a digital audio workplace or whatever, or like in the computer. It was made by the people playing it in the room, and the recording is just the capturing of them doing that. When when you started down this path, all you guys like uh, listening to like Paul, like you making this music in the past, is this just something that you grew up loving and you just wanted to dive into it more? Is this something that you you found as a challenge that 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 brought you down this this path? Is it is it wanting to try different instruments? Is it, it's, it's curious how, how you started down this path. Well, at least for me, I think something that a lot of people might misunderstand about blood incantation and the way we do things is that this is a band that represents four people's mutual interests. You know, it's not, uh, somebody puts everything in a hat and then says, okay, yeah. guys, this is the band deal with it. You know, it's everybody putting in their own two cents and, even though there might be like a more driving or concentrated aesthetic, you know, like when I try to do the layouts, I'm really particular about the stuff and I want to help present this thing, but it's something that I'm not presenting anything that the four of us don't mutually stand behind, you know, and in the same sense with, you know, making regular music, regular death metal and all that. And, you know, we're all in death metal bands, black metal bands, yeah. bands, you know, we do a lot of music because we like a lot of different types of music. And then in that same breath, that's why Blood Incantation will go from a Pink Floyd part to a Black Metal part to a Funeral Doom part to an old school Morbid Angel part. And we just want to put all of our interests in that same little pot and then and stir it up. You know, we, we love bands that do that themselves. And for just this band in particular, it's like a really true representation of four people's interests and, you know, their passions in life beyond just the term of like death metal or metal or whatnot, because obviously... You know, we're in bands that don't uh, maybe push it like like uh, yeah. BI kind of does. You know, we still like, you know, other types of metal and things like that. And Blood Incantation specifically as the project is kind of the embodiment of all of these eccentricities throughout the, throughout the years that we've developed or, you know, maybe discovered or accumulated. And we just want to put them all in a little row for people, the natural version of that just in that context you know we were talking before i hit the re record button that you know isaac and i have a mutual friend patrick from pilot priest in you know the whole denver colorado scene you guys in all these other bands and in stuff like this and all these other projects you in there are so many artists it's it seems blowing up in your guys scene what what was it that drew you four together that was so special that formed this connection that you guys had? Yeah. Well, I mean, just from my experience, you know, like I was telling you before you were recording, um, you know, back in 2010, 2000, you know, 2009, 2010, metal was not cool in Denver. You know, there, uh, there was not so there weren't this many bands. There weren't, this many people living here. I mean, that's partly because of the weed legalization. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, that that insurgency and then also, of course, the uh, just expanding of metal as a whole in the kind of cultural consciousness over the last 10 years, it's become a lot more prevalent, I would say. 
than it was. And so because of that, you know, now it kind of seems like, oh, there's something in the water in Denver, you know, but it's like me and like a, a select group of my friends, we've been trying to be, be, be in bands since I was like in high school, you know? And so we've been doing it since then. And then Paul, Jeff and Morris all moved here for various reasons uh, before weed was legalized. You know, they were uh, Paul and Jeff were in a different band called Vilnius. Morris came here for school um, and I met Paul because my band Stoic Dissension was playing with his band Velnius. And so we were already doing these, you know, we were already in bands. It was very clear from the get go that we were mutually interested in the same kind of weird, obscure niches in the metal scene, like not just metal, you know, it's like, Oh, you're into this type of metal, like different, weirder stuff. And so from the get go, I mean, it was like first time we ever met, Paul was like, hey, I really like the way you play guitar. You want to play guitar? Let's do a band. And I was like, yeah, that's great. I want to do more funeral doom. I want to do more stuff like this. And then he found out I played drums because of my band Sentimani, which uh, Patrick was in. Yeah. And uh, he heard my drumming. Yeah. And he was like, he was like, I didn't even know he played the drums. We were already in another band. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was kind of where it started. Um, Yeah. You know, guys, in your wildest dreams, you know, maybe you're be humble here. You guys could not have, um, I, you know, maybe you guys know that you're good, and I love confidence, but you guys could not probably have imagined the success and the critical acclaim that like Star Spawn and Hidden History. Like you, like, I'm yeah. on, I'm, I'm on Reddit a lot. Yeah, my God, I. You know, I that's the only social media I see, but my God, anything you get gets posted by you guys on Reddit, any reviews, people hit without a doubt, like Hidden History, album of the year from ev- everywhere, Star Spawn, album of the year by everywhere. Like, it's where did you yeah. guys know when, when you came together like uh, metal Power Rangers, <laughs> you you guys knew that this was gonna be for like, man, we have fucking something. Sp- special going here i mean i will definitely say just from my experience i've been in a lot of bands um and you know i will say there i don't think i ever expected the extent i mean even i didn't you know back when we were first starting just the idea of putting out a record and going on tour in europe those were like (laughs) i was like oh wow if i could do that then i made it you know that sort of thing um but like it was interesting because we didn't have a basis for a while. And finally Jeff joined the band full time. And there was something that clicked then that was like, Oh, here's four dudes who are all a hundred percent down on the same thing. We all are on the same wavelength. We all want to give our whole lives to this thing. And that is so rare. I mean, like I said, I'm in many, I've been in many bands. I'm still in many bands and it's still hard to find four guys that can do that i mean even my band my band wayfair has had more lineup changes you know yeah and i and we've been doing we we do a lot of stuff a lot of cool stuff and it it has it it has been an issue in the past of like finding the right person who is 100 percent committed and knows exactly what the band is about and so even from just finding that part it was like oh okay we 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 did it we got a band together that all want to do the same thing we all want to make this our whole life. We want to be metal musicians. Like that's what we want to do. 
pros. You know, it's it's it seems like you guys are are such good friends. That's what shines through just in these 20 minutes I've been speaking with you guys. You guys seem to have such a great friendship and so su- supportive of one another. Like Morris, like you with like spectral voice. Like it it would seem to me that Paul and Isaac aren't giving you shit for going out and doing your work there. Or Isaac isn't getting shit. <laughs> uh, Jeff and I are also in spectral. Yeah, and, and I, I was going to mention that too. But I was using it in the ex- example here. Like, Isaac, you're not getting shit for you and, and your, like, Stormkeep stuff. Like, it seems like yeah, you no, guys... It seems other, like, yeah. yeah, it seems like you guys just prop each each other up for whatever projects you guys want to do you know paul with spectral like you guys it's like you guys just seem like you just love music and if you guys want to do it do it because you look at so many other bands and so many like big name bands um like you know they're of course on a different wavelength than you guys are but like when newstead wanted to go do some different stuff that caused metallica to give him the fucking boot that's personality issues aside, but you know, when you wanted to do his whole Voivod thing, but you guys here just champion and seem to wave each other's flags. Well, it's like you said, man, we're, we're four guys that are friends and we want to support each other because we're all on the same boat, you know? And, uh, do, do you know what's, what is, is so funny about, about by being so friend is that it's so cool how each of your guys individual side projects in addition to Blood Incantation, they're all celebrated releases in the metal community. That's pretty remarkable, to be honest. That's <laughs> something that we definitely did not anticipate. Um, at least for me, you know, like Isaac, I've been in a lot of bands the last 20 years, and uh, none of them, except for Spectral Voice and Blood Incantation, have been like all, all members, all cylinders, all the time. Let's do it. And honestly, as soon as those bands got those lineups like that, and those those people were of that uh, position in the bands, that that's when those bands really started blowing up. You know, like you know, I, my whole prerogative in life is riffs, man. I just want to make the <laughs> coolest riffs that I can, and uh, I like music that really inspires and makes me think about how great a riff is. And so, you know, some people say the Blood Incantation is a riff salad. That's totally fine for me. I like salads. I had one for breakfast, and I love riffs, so it's really okay for me. And like in my old bands. You know, I, I had, I would tour and we had a, a, a tiny little modicum of success. You know, people would flip the tape on eBay or, or, you know, there was a little bit of forum stirring back in the doom forever, forever doomed early nuclear war now era. And uh, none of those bands were capable of committing like our bands today are. And part of that is, uh, being blessed by the success of all of our projects at the same time because people are as soon as we get a new one now we're in a position where none of us could start a new band and just be some guys in a band which is you know good and bad yeah and i personally for someone who just wants to make music I, yeah i'm gonna make new bands I'm, I'm already in multiple bands i've always been in multiple bands it's, it's always just been part of it and all of us have been in multiple bands simultaneously while being in blood incantation and at least for me you know, blood incantation, spectral voice. That's that's what a hundred percent of my priority is too, because those are the ones where everyone is in the band able to do it. Like there are other bands that I'm in, like uh, my girlfriend Erica, Catonic Deity, which Isaac plays live in. Uh, 
Erica would absolutely love for this to be full time, but the drummer lives in Portland and now he's in incantation and a bunch of other stuff. Isaac and I are really busy. Erica's in a bunch of bands herself. So it's not, it's not really feasible to, to commit on that level, even though I wish that we could. So, you know, you mentioning your riff of loves. So when the world loses the great Matt Pike, do we pass the torch to uh, you, Paul, and you no, carry on being the riff lord? I would, I would hate that responsibility. <laughs> I just like, I just want to make music that I personally like. That's like yeah. the whole thing. When I hear, yeah. when I hear records that inspire me, I'm like, fuck that atmosphere or that feeling that I wish I could make something like that. And honestly, it's the same for ambient music. Like it's really hard to make sick riffs or good ambient music because there's so many types of riffs in the middle. You know what I mean? But we, we really like a certain type of riff that, you know, us is like a blood incantation riff, but to some people are like, it's some, some other riff or whatnot. Morris and, you know, and Paul, since you guys are doing riffs, you know, I, we can use the music behind you. Everything in music by this point has has almost been been done. Totally. Do you how do you when you start to write riffs, how do you subconsciously not I don't want to say rip off because that's that's wrong, but how, how do you how do you put your your spin on something that's already you know out there in a sense? It's literally impossible not to, especially if if you've been playing for a long time, it's gonna have your flavor regardless of how or what you play. Yeah. One thing I'll say is Morris and I play guitar together very well. And we, we improvise off each other very well. Isaac and I also share this ability. The fact that the three of us here also play guitar, Isaac plays drums and guitar, is very similar to Inspector Voice, where Eli, the drummer, also plays guitar. And so the fact that our, our music is riff-oriented, because all of us play riffs that that's all it is you know what i mean so like when isaac writes a drum part he is like okay especially like if he wrote the riff he's like this is where the riff goes this is where the accents are going to be and all that contributes to emphasizing the power of the riff itself and you know so you combine that with maybe uh morris and i will be improvising and be like oh okay go up here you take this part and i'm going to take the harmony over here and then switch it back down drop it out under here we communicate in the same way uh, you know, without having a really good understanding, at least for myself, I, I don't have any music theory understanding or training, but I, we communicate with the same numbers of like, when we say, okay, from this fret to that string, and we skip things, a lot of the shorthand that we use to communicate on the fly when we are writing, I've been in bands where we don't, we don't understand that same type of shorthand. I have been in bands where we do, and it's always a lot better. Um, but that's not something that is super common in, in bands, as far, in my experience. But when it does, you get a way more potent result because a lot of time is kind of wasted in miscommunication or interpreting what someone meant by drop it down to six or on the next one or yeah. drop it out here. So we, we all speak that same type of language. Yeah, or where to put the yeah. harmonic and how to do the bend, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, like what Paul said, like I also write riffs for the band. So like to me, it's not about not copying other bands i think there's a difference between ripping off and homage and you know one of the things that i've noticed especially listening to like classical music and even jazz and stuff like that is that people borrow melodies they borrow like motifs from other people from the past all the time i mean even if you watch film or read books like Absolutely. this is just an aspect of art and yeah. culture all you know and yeah, exactly. And so it's not about being like the most original. I think it's kind of insane that people expect that. I mean, 
I agree. Nothing. I agree. It's insane. Nothing is no made. And they can do that. <laughs> nothing is made yeah. in a vacuum. You know, it's like everything is made in the place in which that person lives in that time that person lives. It's like, you're not going to be able to divorce yourself from all those influences. So even when bands like, I mean, you know, people Harold, I mean, one of my favorite bands, the Beatles were not the most original band in the world. They just combined a lot of things. They literally started playing had, covers. They, yeah, yeah, but they, they combined a lot of things that had not been combined yet. And so that's kind of like what we do. In a distinctive way. Yeah. And we, and we, we try to combine these things that we haven't seen combined before. I mean, you know, obviously there is some space death metal already. Like we didn't invent that, you know, but like we're doing it in our own way. And like we filter all these other influences and that's where something like time wave zero is like the perfect and you know, way for us to do that is to be like, we're a death metal band, but we also do ambient. And I don't know who else has ever done that. You know what I think is special about you guys is when I think you know you're doing something right, aside from the you know critical success and the reception, is when you start to see clones. Like you can look at people are now starting to reference. We're like we're trying to be like Blood Incantation. Blood Incantation is who we look up to. We want to be like them. Or you know, you guys in Spectral Voice. That that whole. Could uh, doom de- death doom thing like is is started a huge fucking wave of bands after you guys. At one it's- point in time, when Spectre Voice was first starting, the only American death doom band that played Finnish style disembowelment death metal was our friends and Hedonists, who tragically broke up about ten years ago. And you know, we all of the time, like and Hedonist knows that Spectre Voice is favorite band and then Hedonist. And we're friends, everything's okay. And you know, <laughs> that we even did a split, which was like a huge honor for us. It'd be like if, if circle. I got to do a split with you know Time Ghoul or Morbid Angel or Gorgos or something. Gemilich. Uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's not that we just outright take an Hedonist riffs. It's the combination of the Death Doom, like you know, you got the Rotravore. Um, uh, like bludgeoning like kind of low tuning grinding stuff then you got the mystical disembowelment stuff you got that cold gloomy finish stuff and then combining those three at the time spectral was was on that tip a bit ahead of the game we'd certainly got our cues from other people but for bi um at least in 2011 um actually let me back up really quick so in general let's get back to the influence thing like in general death metal has a couple different main styles you know and for Example, you got you got death style death metal and all these bands like Pestilence and Cynic and all these other bands that play that type of riffing. And then you've got like uh, Isaac's shirt, you got Nocturnus who play, in my opinion, Morbid Angel style death metal. I know that Mike Grounding has the connection between the two of them, but there, you know, you got Angel Corpse in this really brutal style, kind of slayer possessed style death metal that Morbid Angel is really good at. Then you have this more intricate type of interlocking melodic and progressive style death metal that death has done. Both of these scenes are huge and seemingly isolated. Like there are not a lot of dudes that are completely obsessed with both bands. Certainly we all are, because that's why we're in this band together. But in 2011, there were even fewer bands that were combining like Sound of Perseverance style riffs with like formula type riffs. Nobody's, nobody was, was combining Morbid Angel style death metal and death style death metal in that way. And we were like, well, we don't want to stop there because that's a little too straightforward. So we're going to twist it up. We have, you know, 
Gorguts is a perfect example of a band that never gave up and got better with every record and really pushed their music because the first Gorguts literally just sounds like death and obituary put together. It's amazing, but that's, you know, they were wearing their influences on their sleeve hundred percent and they gradually get more, uh, uh, the clearly effigy of the forgotten had a significant impact on Luke LeMay. You know what I'm saying? So yes. they get it going. And then he kind of takes a step back and is like, I need to invert this into some really bizarre context and for some people it was too much and was only understood years later but obscura was one of those watershed records that put like a line in the sand that with gorguts was like you guys are over there and we love all you we're going on tour and you're fucking great we're over here though and that's that's something we we like to connect these dots and then you look at what like colored sands back in 2013 amazing i think Pleiades dust is honestly the best one i was just about to say that that as an ep It's incredible. I got goosebumps just thinking about it. <laughs> okay, gentlemen, let me ask individual, you you three here, going back to maybe you're a younger you. Can you think about that one, like, you know, Isaac with the Nocturnus, that album, The Key, I still think in 2021 is criminally over, overlooked by a lot of people who listen to music now. I love that fucking album. But uh, a, a, a younger you guys... What was is was was there one album in time that started you guys down this path or started you guys <clears throat> loving death metal? Like a lot of people for can say, like, ah, oh, the first time I heard um like uh the ninth crusade from Bolt Thrower or For Victory, you know, all depending so, on so age. Interestingly, you know, for me, um my introduction to death metal because of when i was growing up i actually death metal was kind of on my peripheral because to me it was death metal was not really very good in the early 2000s it had kind of like taken a different thing however that poster you got behind you there uh deliverance by opeth my favorite brother was was a huge huge um thing because that was the first time i heard a death metal band where i was like oh they're doing death metal and other things and so that was like, it drew me in. Um, but the album that started me on my quest for extreme metal <laughs> was Death Cult Armageddon by Dima Borgir. That was the album in 2003 that I was like, oh, this, I have to be, I need to play drums, A, because of Nick Barker, and I need to be in a band. And that, you know, was, that was the one. As a big guy myself, and I was bigger at the time, I'm 6'1", 220. I was a little heavier then. I was a football player my whole life. I got into that Demu and that Death Court Armageddon head. But when I saw Nick at the time, I'm like, holy shit, there's a shot for me being a big guy still playing drums and blast beats. It's possible because every drummer I had seen before is like your size, Isaac. They're not like big Nick and big old Nick Barker comes there and it looks like he's just like it's nothing for him. Yeah, he was he was a, a huge inspiration to me. Um, that is literally why I started playing drums because I heard his double kick uh, work on Death Cult Armageddon specifically, and then of course also on Puritanical Euphoric Misanthropia right after that. And his his drumming was like, uh, I mean, it exploded my brain as like a freshman in high school. I was like, I have to do that. I have to, I have to be able to play this style. What did you think about the symphonic aspect of it? Did, did you like that too? Because, Oh, I mean, I mean, I love, I love that band. I mean, that's where like, I mean, you mentioned Stormkeep, like that's my other, that's me basically 
being like, I've always loved symphonic black metal. I mean, uh, yeah. Demon Warrior and especially Emperor and bands okay. like that. I, I quickly, Morris, I'm going to come to you for your album next, but Isaac, I, I have to mention this here. I'm a guy who, and I've said it many times, I normal black metal for me, I find boring. The classic, yeah. <laughs> the classic blast beats, the, the classic old school stuff. Like I know I saw Mayhem when they came over here to Maryland Death Fest and they did their, you know, big show over here and they started coming back. And the early emperor, to me, I don't get it. Um, it's 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 boring. Fair enough. I'm, I'm a death metal guy myself. But I saw Stormkeep on so many lists last year. I said after we did our year end show, I said, you know what? I have to check it out. The owning what it is and I don't want to say the cheesiness of it, but just owning what it is. I am telling you what, if there's one single album that single-handedly questioning myself, your Stormkeeped album did it. I, <laughs> well, I fucking I love appreciate it. That. I, appreciate I love that. it. I absolutely love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, it was like, I feel like black. a lot of people in black metal don't have fun, and that's kind of... And, oh, and you wouldn't that, believe how many interviews I've I've been turned down by black metal bands because they're like, oh, we don't we let the music speak for us. We 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 sit in the shadows and we let our lyrics speak for us. Well, and you know, just to circle it back, but like one of the things that Blood Incantation is all about is that we we love fun and we love, we love having music. fun yeah. playing music yeah we turn on a dime and we switch it and make it all crazy because it, we it, do it because it's entertaining to us yeah yeah a lot of people would say you guys also love drug-fueled music videos and drug-fueled live shows <laughs> but that's what the fans on but that's what the fans uh -huh. say i mean that's we fun too so. yeah. <laughs> you know, we played more shows without being on drugs than we have being on <laughs> yeah uh morris your your album bud if um, if 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 isaac to, mentioned death death cold what is yours buddy similar somewhat similar to isaac's trajectory um and it's because i love iron maiden so much uh cradle of filth honestly uh dusting her and break pretty much everything up until uh i bought an amphetamine when it came out and uh everything up until then i still fully vouch for but yeah cradle of filth was a big big thing for me and i that, that really set me on the path of like true dark extreme music. I remember seeing a music videos up there. I, I think it was, uh, I think it was for an amphetamine when that was coming out. And it, uh, it really kind of just like, it was something different that I, I remember the first time I saw her ghost in the fog. I was yeah, like, yeah. then I went back and discovered all that her ghost in the fog. That's the one. Cradle to enslave. Yes. Yes. That's, that's uh, from cradle to enslave. That's the, oh, yeah. That's yeah. But yeah, yeah. Then I would like go on Napster and Kazan download all those music yep. videos and watch yep. that. And so, yeah, that, that was a huge gateway band for me. And then eventually that actually led to Opeth as well. Um, but yeah, you know, those, those you know, you, you, I, I got to those through like classic heavy metal, you know, like Iron Maiden, Metallica, Slayer, all that stuff. And like, yeah, the reason that Cradle really struck it with me is because they are essentially Iron Maiden riffs played with blast beats and like crazy vocals. You know, you, you look at Cradle, they, to me, to me, their trajectory was up, 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 up. And then to me, they, I thought they dropped off the radar for they a did. while. They definitely did. They, they have and a lot of people have come back to them. Their existence is futile album. A lot of people like a lot. 
I haven't listened to it yet. I was going to give yeah. it a chance after. We actually just played with them fairly recently, totally randomly, yeah. because two of the bands dropped off the bill, which was awesome, because they played the Hollow Be Thy Name cover, which was the first time on tour they ever did that. And that was a really big thing for me. Um, but yeah, they, they've suffered from the lineup changes way too many times to really solidify uh, an exponential growth beyond a certain point, you know? Yeah, really, really quick before I come to you, Paul, for your album, you mentioned that they suffer for lineup changes. It, God forbid we don't know the future, gentlemen. I don't see it happening because you guys, the chemistry you guys have is amazing. I, I, I love talking to you guys. And I've said it again, your friendship shines through. Do you fear if something was happened, if, if unexpected life events came, would blood incantation suffer if more, if Morris or Isaac had to move on Paul or Paul had, had to leave? Stop. We would just call it. We yeah. Would be like, we got it done. You know? Yeah, we've already accomplished yeah. more than what we ever thought we could have done. So we're just we're just out here having fun with it, being friends, living our lives, growing as people, exploring the universe, and and you know we've all been in multiple bands before. We're still we're still going to be in other bands later, but I do think the only thing that would stop blood incantation is if something uh, something tragic kind of happened. Yeah, yeah. It, to me, to me, it's like blood incantation at this point is these four guys. Like it would be really hard for me to imagine it. Um, any other way so you know for us it's like it's really important to not only keep like the personal relationships going but also our working relationships going and like also I think that's also why it's great that we have other bands and other avenues because we're able to explore other things and enjoy music in other ways and and then we can come back to blood incantation and bring our 100% again and that's allowed us, you know, over these years to maintain like a great working relationship. So. Hey, Isaac, real quick. And I, I just, cause I, but while your mic's unmuted, whose idea was it for that storm keep vinyl package? That thing is fucking amazing <laughs> with the uh, map and everything. That is, that uh, yeah. is cool, man. Yeah. That's my, that's <laughs> my baby, man. I mean, like uh, I spent basically the last two years working on that record um, the first record, Galdrum, actually the layouts and stuff were helped along with Paul. So Paul actually was involved in the band from that level. Um, and then on the next, on the new record, uh, Shane, the other, uh, one of the other members of the band, and he's also my bandmate in Wayfair, um, he helped with that. But it was really me, like, I drew out everything. Uh, even the cover art was a, was conceived by me in my room just doodling and then i sent it to les edwards this like accomplished artist to actually make it something cool instead of a crappy drawing so yeah the whole thing was like a, a very in, intense but gratifying uh deep dive for me i almost want to steal it for my my D D camp campaign oh dude i mean honestly <laughs> people have said that i mean the ba the band is very influenced by rpgs specifically and uh a lot of people have have recognized the D and D comparison, and if someone made a D and D campaign of Stormkeep, like absolutely publish that, I will be super stoked. That so. would be awesome. Okay, Paul, your influence. What what was a young Paul's like uh, awakening? Like boom, like your third eye was I got, like. I got oh. really lucky, man, um, because my sister is eight years older than me, and so she's like a hard Gen Xer, and she would always, you know, buy 
Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, and stuff like that, which, you know, even though they're like mainstream bands, they're still very heavy for music that was on TV in the 90s. You know, not metal, but like the distortion, super saturated, searing guitar solos, the occasional screaming, you know, and so I was already on that tip. And then you, do you remember the BMG music catalog? Yes. Like they have that they mail order. Like if you, you get three free CDs and the only paper <laughs> shipping, but then they sign you up to something. Yep, they sign you up, you get all this junk. Yeah. I was like, playing. why the hell am I getting this free Willy soundtrack? Yeah. I didn't want yeah. this. So <laughs> when I was honestly like 13 or 14, I called that number and I I got the CDs and I got Iron Maiden Best of the Beast. I got uh, I guess I would have been 13 because I got the Motorhead Millennium collection in 2000. And then I got Death Symbolic. And to be fair, I liked heavy metal because in skate videos, you know, they play Slayer, they play Iron Maiden, they play Metallica. And it's like part of the, especially like uh, Jamie Thomas. Oh, know, yeah. And the CKY videos, too. CKY. <laughs> oh, yeah. guys, yep. they, they play heavy yep. metal and some punk and stuff. But honestly, dude, it was rain and blood that I was like, holy shit, drums are insane. And this is really evil. And death symbolic was honestly a little too professional for me at the time because it was mm. so articulate and all this crazy melody. And then through trying to discover stuff that was into that, I got into Carcass specifically because um, Heartwork is similarly very professional and the, mel the melodies are very, very extreme. And then I discovered Carcass, Napalm Death and Morbid Angel basically at the same time when I was uh, 16, because they had all been reissued for the first time by Earache in 2002, I guess I was 15. And, uh, so I bought these, I bought these records just being like, these are important. I know what they are or whatever. And honestly, still Alters of Madness was like, absolutely. I could yep. change my life, dude. I it is, it is, it is so that. funny. I'm, I'm just a couple of years old. I graduated high school in 01. It's, it's really cool how us kind of share. Yeah, so it's it's cool how we yeah, kind of share. For me. <laughs> yeah, it's cool how we all kind of share like the same age because me, my dawning it's from not their best album, but when Pantera's reinventing the steel came out, I was like, holy shit. That's what kind of opened the door for me. That was like 2000, and then it was a a, a deep dive in. But you know, Paul, yeah. you mentioned Carcass. Carcass really has a real split fan base, like reek of putrefication. People People love that early stuff. I Symphonies of Sickness. Yeah, people love that early stuff. And then you get the crowd that hate the heart work and swan song. Yeah. And then I you see how they came song. out of nowhere with Surgical Steel. But I, I still think there's one or two cool songs on, on Swan Song. But I do think that heart work uh, is like a master of puppets or painkiller masterpiece level of professional extreme metal. Like, what do you think of, of when they returned with Surgical Steel? I was working at a record store when that came out, and I I do not know. Um, I will say I about that. You know, I I will say about that that when they came through and put toured that record, um, you know, playing it live, it sounded, you know, I was like, yeah, sounds this like sounds carcass. like it sounds like Carcass. It sounds like Heartwork, but like maybe faster. I don't know, but you know, it, I think it's tough for a band like that. And I, you know, I I, I mean, I I love Carcass. Um, not many bands have come back from a huge hiatus like that and then like crushed it again. Um, but Carcass, like, you know, they did, they did great at the gates did pretty good. Um, but the band that definitely absolutely did that was Gorguts for sure. Dude. Gorguts is the standard. If you're going to go away, you need to bring it as hard as colored sands, dude. That was unreal. I could yeah. not believe I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. 
What? Not believe that music. Is is it because what what Luke does is so special, or the whole band does? Because he's such I a think, mastermind. I think it's he 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 is so good at picking the right people to fulfill his vision. Because you know, with uh, with the other Hurdle. records on Obscura, he had Steve Hurdle who came in. And really right up to the, the ante. He came out. They did, yeah. yeah. It was like Erosion came out in January, February, 93. And they, and then they did their first European tour in like March, 93. And in between those couple of weeks, half of the band quit. So we had to get a new drummer and a new, you got Steve McDonald and you got uh, Steve Hurdle. And yeah. Yeah. And like he, Steve Hurdle came from Pure Relance and really upped the game for Gorguts, especially on Obscura. And then, you know, they broke up for a bit. Unfortunately, uh, tragically, Steve Hurdle died. And then um, when Gorgus came back, he brought in these other guys, Colin Marston and Kevin Hoffnagel, who are friends of ours. Man, really man. awesome, really awesome dudes. Colin Marston and Kevin. I mean, they're both musicians on a level that I don't even understand. Like, they, they bring, like, a whole other thing. You know, it is so funny you mentioned, Colin. Do you know how many people just in my world as reviewers, and I have the writing skills of a caveman, so I don't write any reviews. I just do interviews because I, I love to talk. But the the single-handed, Colin is one of those few guys who you can just blindly know and be like, you know when he has his hand in something. It's It is that good. Yeah. When I first found out that he was going to be in Gorguts, and like uh, I've since met Colin and I've punished him with this story, but I <laughs> I didn't like any of Colin's bands really, and I would like I saw Kralis a couple times in the early two thousands, and the styles weren't really for me, but I loved this guy. I was like, this is the best player I have seen like ever, and I couldn't believe how good it was. And I every time he put out a new band or record, I would check it out and be like definitely has his hand on it and you can tell colin's got his, his stamp on it but it's not quite my thing but when i heard when i heard that he was in gorguts i was like fuck yes this is gonna be so amazing and and his mastering work is just yeah am- he's amazing. he's done work for uh my bands i mean wayfair um our last two records he worked on um he's even gonna work on our another band we have called like Hadanon. and yeah so i mean he's he's awesome to work with he's i mean in it I'm not going to blow steam up Colin Marston's ass right now, but I'm going to, <laughs> but he's a, he's a genius. Like this dude yeah. is a bona fide genius, crazy dude, music. um, extraordinaire. <laughs> Do you think it's just because you get somebody like him who studies music so well, like he's like a Stephen Hawking of music. Like it just, he's just on like an Einstein level of, music is it what what is it about him it's as as you guys being artists what is it that blows your mind about him i mean to me to me it's like his understanding of music because he's not just into technical stuff like when you talk to him like he loves like weird raw black metal that's like recorded like crap and is played shitty because he he has this like breadth of thing where he's like it's not about being the most technical or being the most like precise or clean or whatever. It's about like, what is the, what's the feeling of the music? But he, you know, he, he on his other hand has like this abstract kind of understanding. So like in, in one breath, he'll be like, yeah, Natan's Madrigal from over, uh, 
uh, uh, through Silver Eyes and Blood by Neurosis and Obscure by Gorguts are all his influences, you know, and Melt Banana or like, you know, a band like that. So like Melt Banana, I got to tell you, I, when I was at Maryland Death Fest years ago, I saw them on the line on the bill. I was like, who the fuck's Mel-? the crowd went batshit crazy for them. <laughs> They're an insane band. They're an absolutely insane band. Unfortunately, that tour they're doing with Igor got postponed, but was supposed to go see that. Yeah, yeah, I was supposed to play that show. Um, Unfortunately, that's not happening. But, you know, you can hear in Colin Marston's stuff, like in Intricathir or, you know, these other bands that he writes for. How you say that? That's his ambient band? uh, He made made an ambient album with his metal band before we did. I yeah, will say like 30 minute. It's like six 30 minute songs. It's crazy. There, I think each track is like an hour or something. Yeah. <laughs> or something. It's like, it's like a few hours long anyways. Yeah. So in that band, he did like uh, an album that I bought when it came out. I think it's the self-titled the first one. And it straight up is like technical death metal, melodic black metal and melt banana grind all mixed together it's like absolutely like insane way of just saying colin marston's name you know? yeah pretty much yeah <laughs> one, one thing i think about specifically a fellow like colin is that it's kind of sometimes in life when you know all the rules is when you're the best at breaking them and his understanding of music and theory is what gives him a platform particularly in a, in a collaboration with somebody like luke lumet who has always kind of had a new idea will take over and he's like, now we play suffocation style death metal, or now we play crazy dissonant death metal, or now we play colored sands, you know, he gets these new ideas and he runs with it. And having somebody like Colin that he could play off of, like, you know, I, for instance, I don't know really anything about keys or, or music theory, but sometimes we'll be playing and I don't understand the time signature or whatever. And then let's say it's, I don't know, five eighths or some, I, I don't know, but whatever it would be, these guys might know. And then they can be like, no, and this is the downbeat. This is where the riff starts. And I, my brain can be like, okay, that makes more sense. And then once I see the framework of the riff, I get a better idea for how to play something on top of it. And I would assume it's something like that, but on a genius level for Colin and Luke. You know, is that how your guys' mind work? Like, are you, you know, we're here talking about, you know, your guys' ambient album about to come out, but is that how are you guys already thinking what next? Always. Yeah. yeah. We try to have things planned out a couple of years in advance. I, I definitely think it contributes to uh, not only like a short term or immediacy of success, but that gives a band a little bit more wiggle room and longevity because they have a plan. They have a goal. They have a trajectory that we're, they're already part of. And we're usually doing stuff in our brains about maybe two, three years out at any given time. Now, you know, this is not something that I'm sure you guys ever set to do because you guys just played music that you guys enjoy and you like. And the critical success came on as just a result of that. But do you, I'm not saying fear that you guys have set yourself up for failure, but the fucking bar now, gentlemen, is so damn high. Well, well, it's exciting, if anything. Yeah, it's really? Exciting. Yeah, really and then it's like, it, it's liberating in a way to know that too, because it's like, I don't think of it as a bar at all. You know, it's it's just this like vast landscape of like a town you haven't been to yet. It's oh, I, got, I like that. I think it offers new opportunities once you've and, something off the list. And to, to me, it's like, 
to me, I, you know, people might scoff at this, I guess, but I'll, I, I would say I've not, I mean, with my performances and, and everything, I was saying this in another interview too, but I've never been fully satisfied with like almost anything I've ever done, even though I really like a lot of the records mm-hmm. I've made and I'm happy with them. Um, I don't think so. Like people might have this high bar, but my bar is way higher than theirs. Like my bar is like, if I can make this record like this bit, be- this much better and I can play this much better then. I'll be happy, but I'll never actually probably ever get there. You know, that's like basically impossible. I think perfection is not something that is even attainable, but it's something that like, you know, as a human being creating something, it's like you're, you're trying to push yourself all the time. And so that's what makes it exciting for us is like every single record. We're like, how can we challenge ourselves? How can we make this even crazier? And on hidden history, I was playing drum parts that I literally couldn't play. And there's parts on there where I'm like, wow, I can play that. I can actually play that now, you know, better than it is on the record. After you play, yeah, shows in a yeah. Row, you know, couple, exactly. couple questions, and I'll, I'll let you guys go here. I truly appreciate the time. Again, we're talking. You guys have Time Wave Zero coming out February twenty fifth. The interesting thing that I think we, in this digital age that we live in, with Spotify and YouTube and stuff, is that your guys thought to put out this ambient album is that people are going to may for the first time people may put this on some Spotify playlist with other synth or ambient songs. It may be put in a random playlist and people may go down this rabbit hole, never listening to your guys previous work and may find you guys. And it just may open their door and blow them away. It's cool. Or on the flip side, it's cool for metalheads who've never really listened to the ambient stuff that they can put this on and it can open their eyes to this whole new world. It's, it's really cool what you guys are setting out doing. That's what it's all about, man. You know, we just, we we get a lot of people who come to us and they don't, they don't really like death metal or they're not super versed in it. And then they're like, you know, a lot of that stuff is too brutal for me, but something about hidden history kind of speaks to me or like, you know, star spawn did the same type of thing. We get a lot of people, basically each record we, we get more people who don't listen to metal being like oh metal isn't just some like kind of you know tough guy brutal i'm gonna kill everybody yeah, Menton, yeah metal isn't some glenn benton looking uh, inverted cross guy on their forehead hey, like that that isn't every metal band and hey man like you know band. here's the thing about metal friends. here's the thing about metal dude is that it, it it's such a huge pot there's so many cool different things and you know what some of that stuff like just a straight up cannibal corpse song or whatever i'm you know i i like i'm not that band but i totally respect bands that are like we do this one thing and we kill it we kill it all the time you know that's and that's to say that there's i interviewed paul the drummer for kim and that's what paul said paul says we we do our thing but we always strive to do our thing well and they they definitely definitely do they absolutely do. do Okay, but you know what? You guys in all these different projects, is anything out of reach? Like, Morris, will we see you or Paul forming a power metal band? Uh, oh, dude. We, we love, love power to. metal and Rhapsody and things like that. <laughs> because yeah, it's so, because I was, be- before you guys came on, I had an interview lined up with Power Paladin from Iceland, 
Uh, they just released their debut album. That's actually really good one. And I'm a huge power metal guy. Blind Guardian, Rhapsody. I love that stuff, man. Hammerfall. <laughs> I I love it. One of the first bands that, that got was, uh, metal because it sounded like yeah. Iron Maiden, but played tougher. Rhapsody exactly. on their actually first bringing it back to early influences. Yeah, uh, like all those bands like Stradivarius and Sonata Article were a huge huge oh, thing for me. Gentlemen, I love you guys even more. Yeah. So <laughs> so, but the thing is, power metal. You know, to a lot of people. Maybe, you know, like I love Hammerfall. I love Dream Evil. People are like, oh, it's cheesy. Yeah, it is cheesy, but it's fun. It's great music. It's cheesy man in real life. You got to go to work for somebody else, pay taxes till you fucking die. That shit's corny as hell. That is. So, so, but you know, it's what a side project. Power, would that be something that you guys would ever even consider? Just a one off thing. That would be fun. I like mean, honestly, color, so yeah. honestly, dude, like my band Stormkeep is very, very influenced by power metal. And I would honestly not be surprised if there is more influence of that in, in the future. But like straight up, dude, like the hardest thing about starting a power metal band is finding a vocalist because right. it can ruin it. It can absolutely yep. ruin it. And finding the right guy that can sing like that, guy or girl, you know, whoever. Or um, Apollo Rock. My favorite would, would be, be Matt, would be Matt Barlow. You know, he's free. Yeah. <laughs> You know the ice well, hit earth. Him up. Yeah, you know I th I I think his work with Ice Earth was was some of the best stuff. Um, and of course, you know John Schaefer's still locked up because of his insurgency attempt. But uh, um, one thing I want to say before we get out of here: the the time wave and the connection between our other records and the songwriting and the bar being set so high and all that stuff. Um, every one of our records leading up to this one has had music that was written sometimes three to four years before sometimes really yeah absolutely the demo had songs um that were written one of them was written when i still lived in oregon and then star spawn had songs that were written during the two years it took for the demo to finally come out because it was recorded in 2013 but not released until 2015 so people kind of saw how does your ep and then your album get so different it's one year apart it's like well not really it was, it was almost three years apart you know but in the same sense, um, Slave Species and Giza on, on the last album were both, uh, you know, we had, we were sound checking Giza power plant riffs in the studio recording Interdimensional Extinction in 2013. And yet we did not record it until 2019. We were playing it on tour, I want to say since what, six, 16, 17, 16? I don't remember when we started playing it, but we'd had it in the wheelhouse, you know. And, and so when we finally get these records out, it's great, it's current, but it's not current to us, if that makes sense. Like, it, we've been sitting on this music or sitting on these riffs or whatnot. And so the literal palate cleanser being Time Wave Zero sets us up, that bar is now completely open and we have the total wheelhouse of Blood Incantations past discography at our disposal. And like how Isaac was saying, you know, we write a part, we can't play, we record it at max capacity and then we tour it a bunch and we can play it a little easier. Our skill sets have increased and our ability to make more complicated music has increased. And now after Time Wave Zero, for the first time, all we have are ideas. We don't have any songs. We don't have anything we're waiting to get out yet that we've been sitting on for years. And so we have an increased skill set as well as an expanded palette of potential sound we can draw from. So it, the bar, is for ourselves very high but it's also more open because we are we are more free now 
to make crazy brutal death metal and insane psychedelic prog funeral doom ambient fusion metal uh, than we've ever been before. And so I think it's going to be really, really epic when we, hey, when we walk down for that. Paul, last, last question. You mentioned that when, you know, when you guys practice lights off and stuff like that, well, I mean, there's, we got salt lamps. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Of course. How, how do you want, or if you could say this is the perfect way to listen to this album, you know, people well, listen to very, what's, what's, what's the perfect way for people to listen to this? Probably seated or reclining, not driving a vehicle. Um, I would say, so the stereo mix and the headphone mix both yield to pretty different results on the listener. I did, see, I have hi-fi headphones and it yeah, sounds I amazing. Those are great. I personally, yeah. I, mean, I have kind of shitty headphones. These are, these things are amazing. Electrostatics. Yeah. Um, so I would say, you know, listen to it intently, you know, but at the same time, ambient music is designed to be as ignorable as it is interesting. So if you just want to put it on in the morning when you're doing your, your coffee routine or whatever, yeah. put it on going to bed, that's totally cool. You could, you know, eat some mushrooms and watch it. The Blu-ray, uh, the Blu-ray is going to be pretty crazy and it has a, an analog surround sound 5.1 mix. And that is probably the ultimate way to experience that. Um, I personally do not have a surround setup, so I'll have to go to Morris's house or maybe uh, Joey from Wayfair. It's like a movie theater in his house. He's got Atmos, dude. He's yeah. got an Atmos. Oh. Well, my buddy David also has Atmos. That's actually what. So we were we were trying to make the Atmos thing, but it's this it's this whole the gamer in me would love that. Oh, yeah. so we want yeah we yeah. Joey uses he has like this straight up. Uh, home theater with atmos and he plays like the witcher three in there and stuff i'm like damn dude that's so sick that's sick oh man guys okay well gentlemen time wave zero out february 25th the reception literally when the promo hit our inbox people were no, nobody said oh man what are these guys doing it was it was cool and accepted here we it, we 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 love it it's it's cool it is it it's i could tell you on my set these are 300 headphones they electrostatic they sound it sounds amazing it 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 is it is so cool it i have enjoyed this conversation you guys have a friendship that shines through so much. You guys are so awesome dudes. The fans absolutely love you guys. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the reception um, is great. My friend Corey wanted to say that he's excited to see you guys are fire in the mountains when you guys make it there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we played in 2019. Yep. yep. Um, I'll be back there with two bands in, yep uh july of this year yeah that's what Corey said yep and i'm sure someday blood and condition will return maybe he has ambient set actually played twice once inside and once oh yeah that's right we did he's i have not made i've been out there to yellowstone and grand tetons hiking but the from the pictures of fire in the mountains gentlemen it looks like it's just in words can't describe how amazing of a show it's really fun um it's it's so it's so cool and yeah, everyone should try to make it if they can, you know. It's yeah. it's a uh, I mean just the location alone. Yeah, like you I mean, if you've been to that area, like there's something mystical going on in the hills, you know. It's just it's a it it it's a beautiful place and still still somewhat untouched by the uh the grubby hands of humanity. So, <laughs> it is funny though because it's at it's at a ranch where 
regular people can go with their families. They don't like block out the the booking. Yeah. Best. So, you'll so there's a, a bunch. So there's there's a bunch of metalheads, and then there's families on like a camping yeah, trip. You, you can tell that they're pretty upset, much, but it, it's pretty funny. <laughs> well, and even there's some neighbors that live in the valley that were not very happy about the festival. Um, that we're trying to like call in to the 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 park rangers and oh there's like oh it's the decibel limits you know and they i mean the festival got the permits they got everything squared away and no problems so you know i've seen pictures of like austin from panopticon like sitting around the fire and playing like it just looks so fucking awesome so good time man gentlemen I will give you guys the final words if somebody wants to take it. If not, I can close it out for us uh, here. Yeah. I mean, thank you so much for having us. It was a great conversation and uh, look forward to bringing out our music on the road and maybe we'll see you out there. Yeah. uh, Paul, Isaac, Morris, gentlemen, I love you guys. The world of metal absolutely loves you guys. Time wave zero is out again, February 25th on century media. Please check it out. Please give it a full listen because it it really does draw you in. And gentlemen, during these crazy times, please, please, please continue to be safe. And thank you for right on, man. Thank Take you care. for the time. Thank you.